You are listening to Sermon Audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, Hebrews 10, we're going to be looking at verses 24 and 25. And uh, as you're turning there, if you know it, say it with me. We're going through Hebrews because we want to know Jesus better. We want to love Jesus more. We want to serve Jesus greater. Maybe you all missed out on that piece where I said, say it with me. We want to know Jesus better. We want to love Jesus more. We want to serve Jesus greater. Everything. Why does he have us say that dumb thing every single week? Well, uh, because we know, right? We know that little phrases, little mottos, little things grab our attention and turn our heads or our thoughts in a certain direction, don't we? Right? Like if I say this, liberty, 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 or we are farmers. Very good. Now you're awake. Now you're awake. Let's go back a little bit. What, what company do we think of when we hear this phrase, just do it? Right? Let's go back a little further. Some, some of you won't know this, and it's a shame. You should YouTube it. But uh, where's the beef? Right? And just to be fair, so that we take care of the younger crowd today too, yeah, we fancy like Applebee's on a date night. Now, that was difficult for me because if I never see that commercial again in my life, it'll be too soon, okay? But we know, and advertisers, companies know, that if they can do this little short phrase, this little short jingle, something that we hear and we instinctively know what it's talking about, then our mind goes there, our thoughts go there. And so I have us repeat this little phrase every week because I want us, when we hear this little phrase, when we say this little phrase, to begin to turn our minds towards all that we've seen and understood out of this great book of Hebrews. That I know Jesus better because I know his sacrifice more intimately. I know the bringing, the ushering in of the new covenant more powerfully. I I know his work and, and his person and his effort better. Because I know him better, I love him more. Because I see what he has done for me. And I see it uh, even deeper through letters like Hebrews. And, and what, he, what his love for me, what his sacrifice for me uh, has accomplished in my life. And then because I know him and I love him, then I begin to turn my attention really towards the last third of this book. That I serve him greater. Because of now what I know about how I know him and how I love him, that it tells me, hopefully it tells you, that yielding our lives in complete service to him, no matter the cost, because when we get into Hebrews 11 in January, we're going to see the cost. Even when we get to the end of Hebrews 10 here in a couple weeks, We're going to see the cost, no matter the cost, because I know him, because I love him, my life is worth service to him. And so today what we're going to be talking about that is part of what it means to serve or participation in the body of Christ in the local church. So let's read Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and I promise to never, ever do the Applebee song again, okay? 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I have prayed for this week. I have asked for others to pray for this week. Honey, would you go get me a bottle of water out of the kitchen? Thank you. I have prayed for, I have asked others to pray for. Oh, look at you. (laughs) Dang, honey, you got a thousand bucks on you? Okay. (laughs) Thank you. I've prayed for, I've asked others to pray for, for the, the, the delivery and the reception of this message today. Because I'm never going to be that pastor that says, in order to be a Christian, you have to be in church. Why why am I not going to be that pastor? Because in places around the world where being a Christian is illegal, where church is not an option, where they meet at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning under candlelight and under persecution and the possibility of death and imprisonment, those individuals don't have the same offerings and opportunities we have, and yet we would never say to them they're somehow less of a Christian or less saved than any of us. And so I, I never want to be that pastor that puts those two things together, that you have to be in church to be a Christian. But I will say this, and you knew there was a but I will say this, wouldn't you? That when we are in a position or when we are in a place in our lives where these opportunities are available, and when we are in a place in a position where we have the freedoms that we have, And we have these things that go on as part of our lives. And we've made a public declaration that we are a Christ follower. We are a disciple of Christ. Church and church attendance and church involvement and church participation should be a consistent part of our lives. And I I, I get and I understand sometimes there's physical limitations. Sometimes uh, things occur to us that that prevent us from maybe uh, serving in a capacity or attending in a capacity. And, And I understand that. And I'm not talking about those instances. I'm talking about just the church and those who are within the church for whom participation in the local church in America is considered optional. Because I can promise you this. There were people who filled up college football stadiums all over this country yesterday and last night who have declared Christ to be their Savior who found an excuse not to be engaged in the local church this morning. Now, I got nothing against college football. Anybody got any season tickets want to give up? Throw them my way. I'll be glad to go. But we don't make what the Scriptures tell us is of most importance optional. And so I've prayed about this. I've prayed that God would have us hear this today in in the right mindset, in the right framework, that it's not that anybody's trying to guilt anybody into anything, but to understand that the consistency of particularly the New Testament tells us that those of us who say we are in Christ should be participating in community with people who also say they are in Christ. And so your first point today as we look at these two verses is this, that we are called to consider and encourage each other 
to consistency in the church. We are called to consider and encourage each other to consistency in the church. I don't think it it comes as any surprise to anybody who's been around here the last four years. I am a big believer in missions, both local and global. And obviously, we've had that kind of derailed for a little bit the past year and a half. and, And we've had to rethink some of that. And hopefully, the days are coming where we can begin to piece those things back together. I'm a big believer in in going and being on mission, but we also need to understand we do also focus within as well. That the New Testament church, as it's revealed in the New Testament scriptures, dealt with issues and difficulties and situations within the church, both good and bad, while simultaneously going out and showing the world the love of Christ. And too often churches get into this either or situation. We're going to be very internally focused or we're going to be very externally focused. And what the scriptures teach us is that it doesn't have to be either or, but it should be both and. But here today we are looking at inside, internal, in the church. So let's think about how this is spelled out here. First of all, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Um, the New Living Translation puts it this way. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. And I'll, I'll just be real honest, I kind of like the New Living Translation better in this sense because of that word motivate. Because too often the words stir up or some of your translations use the word provoke. Um, we, we tend to have negative connotations when we talk about stirring up and provoking, Right? I don't know that I've ever heard many people say they were provoked to something good, but I like the way the words are here, that we motivate one another. But whether it's stir up, whether it's provoke, whether it's motivate, regardless, the intent here by the author is to get his audience that he's writing to, and then by application, everybody who reads this letter from that point on, to think about, to consider how to push one another into greater service and consistency and participation in the church. So what does it mean to consider? It means let us, I'm going to focus on this in just a minute, but understand this is a plural here. Let us consider, let us think about ways to do what we're going to talk about. It means it doesn't just come pastorally. Doesn't just come from certain places of leadership. It comes from all who are church members actively engaged and part of that church community. Consider how to motivate people. We we do offer church-wise some ways. The the board as you go out that's on your left-hand side with the cards that you can put and uh, write a note of encouragement to somebody and, and thumbtack it up. That's that's a way that we considered how we can encourage one another and how we can lift one another up. But but notice again, we need your input to that as well. And not only do we need your input to that as well, we need you just to take ownership of that and do it. Let us, notice from how verse 19 all the way up to today, the passage we were in last week up today, notice how the author stresses this plural nature of the church. Verse 19, we have confidence. Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. And then again here today in verse 24, let us consider 
how to do these things. These things aren't done by solitary Christians. These things aren't done by people who don't, do not engage within the body of the local church. And again, also notice what's being done here is what's being described here is a giving principle, not a taking. Let us consider how to do something for someone else. We have to stop viewing church with a consumer mindset. I'll get more to that in a moment. It's a giving principle. What what can I do? How can I consider how to stir up others? And and the the, the rebuttal, obviously, sometimes in our selfish nature is, well, how are my needs going to get met? Well, if I'm considering how to stir you up and all of you all are considering how to stir me up, then I'm getting met. If you're considering how to stir up everybody else and everybody else is considering how to stir up or motivate you, then your needs are getting met. It's one of the things that I teach in premarital counseling, often marital counseling, that so long as both partners in that marriage are solely worried about their needs, nobody's needs are going to get met. But once they begin to consider, how can I do this for you? And reversely, how can I do this for you? Then the marriage relationship begins to flourish. And so it's the same thing here in the church. So what are we stirring one another up to? He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love. To love. Listen to this love in the scriptures for just a moment. 1 John 1, 4, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 tells us the love that God is. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's the love that he shows. John 3.16, obviously, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's also read how Paul describes it in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's the love that God is. It's the love that God shows and displays. And then it's the love that God enables. Galatians 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Right off the bat. It says other things, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But right off the bat, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love becomes the central focus of the church community. Tonight we'll be looking at Mark chapter 12 uh, in our Bible study time at 6 o'clock. And we're going to be looking at that section where Jesus has asked what the great commandment is. And he says too, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, love one another. For by this, people will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. Paul in Romans 13, 8, Owe no one anything except for love, because love fulfills the law. And 1 Corinthians 13, again, Paul, uh, used at weddings. It's fine that it's used at weddings, but it's not a wedding passage, okay? It's a church passage that love is patient and kind. It's not boastful. And and Paul gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 13. He says these three hallmarks of Christian faith, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. 
the focus of a body of believers, a church, and every, every group that's within that church, Sunday schools and small groups and worship teams and youth ministries and kids ministries and everything else, the focus of all that is love. We stir one another up to love as God is love, as he has loved us, and as he enables us to love. And I'm just going to say this as plainly as I can. No true believer in Christ can say they are not capable of it. They may choose not to love. But God who is love and has demonstrated his love and enables us through the power of his Holy Spirit to love has made it impossible for a true believer to say that I cannot love. If we stir one another up to love, we also stir one another up to good works, he says. Look there again, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I believe that these good works are works that are both within and outside of the church. But again, for our focus today, it would be works that are within the church. I think it was 2019, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think that's when it was, but I preached out of the, the book of Titus all the way through. And I want to read to you some examples out of Titus that hopefully maybe you remember. Titus 2, 7 and 8, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Titus 2, verse 13, as he writes about the, the 13 and 14, as he writes about the glorious coming of the Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ, verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous, yearning, to use the phrase we often use in church stuff, on fire for good works. Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient, and to be ready for every good work. Titus 3.8, a saying is trustworthy, I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And as he closes the letter to Titus chapter 3, verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. One, two, three, four, five times in a small three-chapter letter does Paul encourage Titus to encourage the church to good works. Now, again, make no doubt about it. Good works don't save us. We're not saved by good works, but good works are evidence that we are. Ben Franklin said it this way, well done is better than well said. And sometimes we're really good at the well said part. God loves you. Jesus loves you. God forgives. Jesus forgives. Come as you are. But we aren't so good at the well done part. We are considering how to stir one another up to love and we're considering how to stir one another up to good works. And as we do this, look down in verse 25. As we do this, we become encouragers. We'll come back to the beginning of verse 25 in a moment. But he says, we do this encouraging one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful little piece here. Because in John 14, 16, and then some three additional times in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit to come. 
And he uses words like comforter, or he uses words like counselor, or advocate, or helper, depending on how your English translation reads. And here's the really neat part about that. That, that word that he uses to describe the, the Holy Spirit coming is a word that literally just means to come alongside of. That the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, and he comforts, and he strengthens, and he's our advocate, and he's our helper, and he, he does all those things by coming alongside of us. Now, here, here's, here's the payoff here. This word for encouraging is the verb form of the noun that is translated helper, comfort, advocate for the Holy Spirit, meaning that what the author is telling us here is that we are to come alongside one another as the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. That as God comforts us, as He strengthens us, as He advocates for us, as He, as he helps us, as He does all those things through the Holy Spirit, we are in turn to do the same thing to others, encouraging one another. And again, notice this plurality. This is not, he's not writing and saying, and as you go through this life, through this difficult time, wait for the pastors to come alongside and encourage you. Wait for the deacons to come alongside and encourage you. Wait, wait for your Sunday school teacher to come alongside and encourage you. We, we all should be doing that, but this is written in such a way that we are all to be doing that together to one another. I read a, a piece online this week called The Ministry of Being Just a Little Bit Further Along, and Kenzie's going to put it up for you here. And, and I've just pulled a couple sections out, but it was timely for this week. He writes, the work of the ministry within a local church is the privilege and responsibility of each of the people that makes that church their own. And he says, each of them, church members, can take up this ministry of blessing and encouragement of the word and of prayer, of time and attention, for they have the one key credential. They are a little bit further along. Every single one of you here and every single one of you watching are a little bit further along in some aspect of your life than somebody else in this church community. The parent who has kids in high school are just a little bit further along than the parent who has kids in elementary school. You who are retired and, and moved on to a different part of your life are just a little bit further along than the 40, 50-year-old who's still struggling with his or her career and wondering how to make sense of all of it. You who know exactly how to turn to whatever scripture the pastor says are just a little bit further along than the one who has, still has to look it up in the index of his or her Bible. But the point is we are all just a little bit further along than somebody. And because we are all just a little bit further along than somebody, we are all called to come and encourage and come alongside and stir up and motivate and provoke to love and to good works and to all these things that he's saying here in these words. And it's incumbent upon me to also say this. There is a secondary meaning of this word encouraging. Back in Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13, listen to what he said back there. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort or encourage, it's the same word, one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's the same word. It's, it's either exhort or encourage in the English. It's the same exact word, but there's just a little bit of a different meaning. It is still coming alongside, but it is coming alongside in warning. And there's a piece of encouraging one another where we come alongside in love and in grace 
but we warn. If you were in a car with someone and they were falling asleep at the wheel and you were in the passenger side or the back seat side, you, you wouldn't go, hey, um, if it's not too much trouble, would you mind coming back awake and so we don't run off the road? Right? You'd say, You're, wake up! Any fans of planes, trains, and automobiles, the movie out there? You're going the wrong way. You're going to kill somebody's where that scene goes in that movie. And part of our encouraging is sometimes coming alongside of each other and going, you're going the wrong way. Wake up. Come back. Stay the course. Be encouraged. Hold fast the confession of our faith. Do all these things. And we encourage in both of those ways and understand that we do that because we are stirring one another up to love, to good works, and encouragement within the church. And it's all of our responsibilities. I was just asked this week recently, uh, what do we do about getting volunteers? How do we get volunteers? Well, the first thing we need to do is stop calling them volunteers. And I know we don't really have a better word for that, but we need to encourage people, motivate them, stir them up. I think you'd be great in this position I think the church would benefit from you doing this work. We need to come alongside people doing that instead of going, hey, we've got 20 empty positions and somebody's got to fill them. And understand again from the context of this passage, that's not just for me to do or for James, who's our volunteer coordinator to do. It's for all of us to do, to come together and come alongside of one another and say, man, here is a need, here is a ministry, here is a place of service, and and I think you would be fantastic at it. Or even better yet, see it and go, I'll do it. And then let others come and encourage you alongside of that. He says we do all this while we don't neglect each other. Look back at the beginning of verse 25 for our second point. Do not neglect your brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 25, he says we're coming out of 24 to consider to stir one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. All of these directions, all of these directives of stirring up and encouraging and all this stuff is within the context of brothers and sisters in Christ coming together. Now, it's true that this doesn't necessarily mean within the context of a worship service. But it just means that whenever we're together, be it a worship service, be it a a Sunday school or a small group, be it a prayer meeting, be it a mission project, or or just having coffee with some like-minded brothers and sisters of of our community, that we do all this and we encourage and lift one another up and we don't neglect coming together. And for, for us, in our culture, The coming together is largely centered around Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then any additional things that go on through the week. And we can can discuss and argue all we want about whether that's right or wrong and biblical or non-biblical and what should take precedence. But the point of it is simply this. The directive is that whatever is culturally appropriate and whatever is culturally practiced, stop neglecting them. Stop neglecting them because when we neglect them, we neglect each other. When, when you neglect the, the coming of the assembly of the body of believers, and, and he's going to hit this again later on in Hebrews. When we do this, 
we neglect one another. Uh, I, I have loved that we've been forced to have an online presence because number one, I know that there are people who physically uh, are unable to be here or uh, people who just for whatever reason can't make it. Maybe they're out of town and they catch us while they're out of town. Uh, I also know that we've heard testimonies of people who have watched us before coming and visiting. So it's been a fantastic thing for us to add. But listen, if you can get here, get here. If you can be in a Sunday school, be in a Sunday school. If you can be in a small group, be in a small group. If you can come to pray, come to pray. If you need us to, to, to rethink some things, to offer them at different times of the week, then consider how to do that and let us know. But it needs to be a consistent part of our lives because when we neglect those things, we are neglecting each other. We need to strive to be consistent in those things. Now again, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Can you be a Christian and not come to church on Sunday morning? Absolutely. You could also be married and not live in the same home as your spouse. And don't any of you say, hmm... That relationship's going to suffer if you live in one place and he or she live in the other. And your relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ suffers when we neglect the coming together. And it happens for us. We come together not out of a legalistic tendency, not out of uh, meeting some type of religious checklist, but we come together based on our commonality of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote this incredible, uh, powerful, small little book called Life Together, the classic exploration of Christian community, wrote this. It'll be on the screen. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. The defining characteristic of what constitutes a church or a gathered group of believers, whether it be on a Sunday morning or in a small group or a Sunday school class or anything else, the defining characteristic is that we come together only through and in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't come together because we agree on all things politically. We don't come together because we agree on all things socially. We don't come together because we agree on all things culturally. We don't come together because we agree on all things religiously. We come together solely because of who Jesus is and what he's done in each of our lives and what he's longing to do in all of our lives collectively. And when we gather for any of those other reasons or any combination of those other reasons, we no longer become anything but consumer Christians who look at our churches and go, well, yeah, they used to do this, but they don't do that anymore, so I'm going to go find a church that does that now. I have talked to pastor after pastor after pastor throughout this last year and a half. And they all tell similar stories. Yeah, a certain percentage of my church left because we were wearing masks. A certain percentage of my church left because we weren't wearing masks. A certain percentage of my church left because they said I wasn't talking enough about cultural issues of our, of our country. A certain percentage of my church left because I was talking about them too much. This is not consumer. This is not Walmart. We come together because of the commonality of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And the reality that if you try and attempt to be a solitary Christian outside of the scope of the brothers and sisters in Christ and being called together and encouraging and loving one another and stirring each other up to good works, if you try to do that, you will get eaten up. 
Because there is a world that hates you and there is an enemy that hates you and he does nothing more, loves nothing more than to separate you off from like-minded persons in Christ and to say, ah, you can do this on your own. You don't really need that. We come together because of Jesus Christ. We don't come as consumers. We come together as followers and of disciples. The final point, look there again at the end of verse 25 as we begin to close. It says, we don't neglect to meet together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Day oftentimes means more than just a 24-hour period, and this is one of those places. Matthew 10, 15, for example, Jesus speaks of the day of judgment or the time period of judgment. Acts 2, 1 was the day of Pentecost, and not only when, when the Holy Spirit fell, but then the, the age of Pentecost that would come. 2 Peter 3, 10 says the day of the Lord, talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And most likely here, that is the same thing that is meant by the day. That we do all these things. We meet We don't neglect to meet. We come together. We encourage. We stir one another up. We consider. We provoke. We motivate. We do all of this as we anticipate the day that's drawing near. Among many believers these days, there's this question, are we in the last days? And and I've told you from a broad theological perspective, we have been in the last days since Jesus returned to heaven. That instituted, inaugurated, ushered in the, the last part of this incredible narrative of God's work in history that will one day, yes, culminate in some specific things going on. But we see things, we see news things, oh, are we living in the last days, are we living in the last days? And there are a lot of folks that, that believe we are, and, and we can have that discussion. But bottom line is this, as we believe sometimes that our world is spiraling downward. And as we believe sometimes that his return is imminent, which by the way, every single New Testament author thought he was coming back in their lifetime too. But as we believe that, the, 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 the tendency sometimes is to retreat. Oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that me and mine are taken care of. I'm going to make sure that we're, we're okay. And he tells this group of people to then apply to us today that when persecution comes and persecution abounds and it's not easy anymore and everything's being turned upside down because of your love for Jesus Christ, the answer is not retreat. The answer is not solitude. The answer is to all the more stir one another up, all the more motivate one another, all the more come alongside and encourage one another. And as things get worse, you do it more and more and more and more. Until Jesus comes back. And that's what he's calling us to do. Consider for a moment how you can stir up, provoke, motivate others to love, to good works. Consider how you can come alongside and encourage. And consider the role that coming together, not not neglecting it, not making it sporadic, not making it optional, how doing all those things not only benefits you, but more importantly, benefits others, and then even more importantly, benefits the kingdom of God. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet, but encouraging one another, and even more as you see the day approaching near. 
Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.